uh, if you are here and have some kids that are in grades one through five with you, they can uh, head out to kids' worship at this time. For the rest of you, there should be an insert in your program. You can uh, pull that out and uh, follow along with me. Uh, I am uh, really glad to be back with you. Uh, it's kind of been an unusual month-ish or so for me. I was scheduled to be gone uh, uh, for two particular Sundays. Uh, the middle of October, I mentioned to you that I was at a, a family wedding. My niece was getting married in the Clum greater Columbus, Ohio area, which is where I'm from. And so that was great. Um, uh, all my siblings were there, my dad, and, and uh, a lot of the riddles. And so it was wonderful to be able to do that. And so thanks uh, so much to Pastor Charles Bai, who shared with you on that day. And then after coming back for a week, I was then going for a couple more. And so I, was, I had already been planning on being gone last week uh, because we, Amy and I were headed out to Reno to visit our son his wife, and most importantly, our grandson who turned two last week, and so we were there for that. But in between that time, uh, the, a couple of months ago, my middle son, uh, Eli, or my middle child, oldest son, Eli, uh, let me know that he was uh, giving uh, his debut talk at the church where he uh, attends outside of Milwaukee, and so I couldn't quite miss that. I'm sorry, guys. So, uh, so I'm rarely gone three weeks and four uh, three, uh, pre preaching opportunities, but I, but I was. And so, so thanks so much uh, to Doug Campbell for sharing a couple of weeks ago. And then for last week, of course, we're so blessed to have uh, York Moore as one of our elders and teachers here at Calvary. And so thanks to all of them uh, for they, what they did in sharing God's word with you. This morning... I want to uh, share with you as well from uh, what God has, uh, has laid on my heart emerging from his word. And it's, it's related, uh, again, to something that you've seen uh, very often in the recent past. And this idea of what does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus. We've tried to give out a graphic representation. And so whenever you see these three concentric circles that ultimately create this little pick or shield within it, that's what we believe represents how we can be followers of Jesus, that we live in that all of those dimensions, that we live in the, in the up dimension in relationship with the Father, in dimension, relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we also then live in the out dimension as people who are sent on mission to share the gospel. And so that's what I would like to talk to you about today, is that the fact that we are as followers of Jesus, that we are sent in his name. And so I want to start just by reading those verses that are at the top of your notes. So you can follow along with me. You can see that's from the Christian, Christian Standard Bible translation. So I'm going to begin reading there in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Here John writes this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Pray with me for just a second if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of life that comes only through the person and the work of your son, Jesus of Nazareth. We thank you and we celebrate that today, God. We know that every time we gather as the, as the people of God and we celebrate the fact that he is alive and that he has given us life, 
We celebrate the new birth that we receive through your grace and our faith. And we pray, God, today that as we understand our calling as people who are sent in your name to proclaim this great and wonderful truth to all those with whom we have contact, we pray that you would not just, Lord, help us to remember a, 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 a piece of information today, but we pray that our, our wills would be altered, that our, our very beings would be changed, and that our orientation and the way that we see our life and how we're to be used by you would be just slightly different than when we walked in here this morning. We pray this, God, for your, for your will to be done and for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He could have by the way, right? We're, we're, we're guilty. But it wasn't, the, it wasn't condemnation that God wanted to provide for us, but it was salvation that he wanted to provide for us. And so God did something that only he could do. And there's a very unique thing about the person of God. You see, God is both the sent one and he's the sender. It was God that sent his son into the world, but as God sends his son into the world, he sends his son, and Jesus says about himself that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that the Father and I are one. So God is the one who is both being sent and doing the sending. In fact, Jesus uh, refers to this reality in John chapter 17. Some of you know in that particular chapter that it's, it's oftentimes referred to as the, the high and, and or priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. And within that prayer, Jesus says, as you sent me into the world. So he, he understands that he has been sent. He has been sent out on a mission. He has been sent by God. He is God. So God being sent, God doing the sending. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And the people that he's talking about there are those first followers of his. And so the reality is, not only is God both sent and sender, but the, follower, the followers of Jesus are seen then as sent ones. What did Jesus say? As you have sent me into the world, so I have also have sent them into the world. So we exist as sent ones. It's interesting to me that when you, when you see the ministry of Jesus and how he called people to himself. That from the very outset, he had this idea of the fact that they were going to be on mission. Some of the, some of the people in, in, in some of the first conversations that Jesus had with his first followers were interesting. When he said to them, follow me, he told them, and I will make you good and moral people. Follow me, and I will make you perfect beings. Without not, never making any mistakes. No, it's interesting to me, that, and it kind of jumps out at me, that Jesus, when he was in, inviting them to follow him, he was also challenging them toward a reality that they didn't even understand yet. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Jesus already had, he was already planting the seeds in their minds as people who would be sent ones, that they would have, that, would, that they would be on mission for him. I don't know that they even fully recognized, they understood what it meant to be fishermen because he's talking to fishermen in this conversation. But when he says fish for people, I don't know if they fully recognize exactly what he's saying, but he's planting that seed in their minds and hearts so that he, they, be, they can begin to understand what it will mean for them as they move forward in their journey journey with him. 
It's interesting too, when Jesus uh, called, and this was just, this was not uh, necessarily a call into leadership yet, but he would later do that in Mark chapter 3. And in Mark chapter 3, if you, if you look at that passage, what we find there is Jesus is, has uh, spent the night in prayer, and he's been, uh, he spent the night in prayer with his father, and it says in verse 13 of Mark chapter 3 that Jesus went up on the mountainside, and he called to him those who he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Same way in which he said to them when, they, when he first called them to simply follow him, follow me, I'm going to make you a particular kind of person. I'm going to make you a person who ultimately is a fisher for me. Jesus invites us, so there's, there's two aspects, and Jesus is such a wonderful master at balancing these two things. He's continually inviting people to come be with him. Follow me. Come be with me. Be part of my life. I'm going to be part of your life. And he's challenging them. Invitation, come be with me. Challenge, I'll make you fishers of men. Invitation, he set those, those 12, the ones that he designated as, as apostles, it was, it, he designated them as apostles, and it was the calling was that they would, again, be with him, invitation, spend time with him, get to know him, be his friends. Be his friend, be, uh, they would be his friends, he would be theirs. In fact, he says that at one point you call me teacher, but now you call me friend. It was a, definitely a deep uh, level of intimacy and relationship that, that he had. So there's that invitation, but also the challenge. He, they would be with him and that he would send them out. So Jesus' followers obviously are people who are sent ones. Now what happens is the New Testament picks up on this reality that we are people who are sent out on mission and it uses different terms to describe kind of what that looks like. And so for the next little part here, I just want to I just want to draw your attention to some of the biblical examples of how we're kind of represented as the ones who are sent out on mission for Jesus. One of the things Jesus says about us is that we are salt and that we are light. In Matthew chapter 5, right after the Beatitudes, after Jesus has gone through that list of Blessed are you, and uh, who are who? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right after the list of all of those beatitudes, when you get down to verse thirteen, Jesus says to his followers, "This: You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt, but if salt, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it may, be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men." So we are called, one of the ways in which we, we exist as sent ones is we are people who are salty for Jesus. Now, the, there's lots of ways in which Jesus is using that metaphor, but I think one of the ones that, that we can really hold on to is we are people who are, have a usefulness to God. God doesn't need to use us. God, God could simply have a, an appearance a theophany, an appearance of God. He could do that to every individual in the entire world and they could choose to believe or not believe what he's representing to them. But that's not what he's chosen to do. He's not limited to the point where he couldn't do that. 
But what God has done is he's using us as his sent ones. And as salt, we are people who are useful to his kingdom. And notice what Jesus says. If the salt isn't useful for its purpose, if sent ones are not useful for their purpose in representing the one who sent them, then they're really of no good to the one who sent them. A usefulness. He also goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Not only are we salt, there is a usefulness, but we bring light to a very dark and troubled world. Our world is chaotic. Our world is tragic. Our world is filled with sin and horrific miscarriages of justice. And God places us in that and he implores us. In In fact, Paul says to the Philippians, shine like stars. In this dark and crooked and perverse generation, you shine like stars because we know that Jesus said about himself that he was the light of the world. And so when he says that we are then the light of the world, all we're doing is we're allowing the light of Jesus to shine through our lives. And look what, look what Jesus says will happen. He says at the, at the end of that, uh, that passage I just, I just read, let your light shine before, before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So we exist as sent ones as salt and light. Another word that's used to describe us is ambassadors. Paul says to the Corinthians, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Again, reiterating this very important thing, God has chosen every one of those who have placed their faith in him. Everyone who has been regenerated by the power of the gospel, every one of us who have new life because the shed blood of Christ has cleansed us from our sin, we are filled with his spirit, and we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. For every one of us, regardless of whether that was last week or last year, regardless of whether that we find ourselves on the well, the end, near the close to the end of our life or really close to the beginning of our lives. Regardless of, there's no other factors. All of us share this identity as people who are ambassadors. We are representing Jesus in everything we do. All that we are, everything that we say, the way that we interact with all the different persons in our workplace, in our neighborhood, on our teams, in in our community settings, here at church, Every place we go, everywhere we go, every person with whom we have contact, we, God is making his appeal through us. Again, he didn't have to do it that way, but he has chosen to. You are an ambassador, a representative of God himself anytime you're dealing with anyone else. We don't check in and check out of that. It's not something we can turn on and turn off. I know, I'd like to at times too. But the reality is, as followers of Jesus, we are sent ones and we are his ambassadors. We're his representatives. God has given you new life and a message of hope for the world. And that's something that every one of us, God is making his appeal through us. 
And you can hear the passion in Paul's voice as he shares with those believers, those ancient believers in Corinth, we speak for Christ when we plead. When we plead with them, come back to God. Secondly, we are also witnesses. Oh, I should, I should say thirdly. So we, we're salt and light. We, we have a usefulness. We bring light to the world. We're, we're representatives or ambassadors. And now, according to Jesus, we are also his witnesses, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's stick with kind of the courtroom metaphor for just a second. I think it's important for us to understand that as witnesses, the only thing that we're called to be is truth tellers. I know this to be true. God has changed my life. I know this to be true because it's built on the firsthand eyewitness evidence. That's why Luke wrote the way he did in the book of Luke and the book of Acts and his two-volume work. He was helping people to understand that the faith that they had was, was based in a firsthand eyewitness account that there was a man who was nailed to a cross, who was placed in a tomb, and later that tomb was empty, and that changed everything. That was the truth. He says over and over, we are witnesses of that reality. Some of the things we are not, we're not the judge, we're not the jury, we're neither the prosecuting attorney nor the defense attorney. The one thing that every one of us can do and that we are called to be are witnesses of the fact that Jesus is alive and that he has changed your life. You can tell that story because it's a story you know because it's your story. He's changed you. He's filled you with his spirit. He's given you a new identity. He has changed you from death to life. He's changed you from sinner to saint. He's changed you from someone who was not a person to now a child of God. And it is all based on the, on the fact, again, that the tomb was empty and that the reality of the resurrection changes everything. It makes it true. And so we are witnesses to that truth. We tell that truth. We do it. Do we do it? Are there times when, when, it, when it becomes difficult in dialogue and discussion with people who don't believe that? Absolutely. But we need to always be people who tell that truth with gentleness, with respect, with love, but we tell the truth. We, in this church, we believe in the reality of what Scripture teaches, which puts us in a minority position in our culture. I understand that. But we believe that there is one way to the Father. We believe the Scripture teaches there is one way way to eternal life. We believe scripture teaches that it all depends upon someone's response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are witnesses of that truth and that truth alone. And I know that, again, that's a, that's a very countercultural way to live right now, and, it, and maybe it always has been, but maybe it's just more visible today about how countercultural it is. But Every one of us, again, live with that calling on our life that we are witnesses of the truth of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and how he's changed our life. We are witnesses. We are ambassadors. We are salt and light 
And the last thing I'd suggest, and there'll be other things that we could talk about, but in the interest of time, I'm going to leave it at, at these few here that as we talk about kind of the, that our identity, is we are disciple makers. Jesus says to his followers, right before he is to ascend back to the Father, he has been crucified, he's been buried, he's raised, been raised to life, he's, lived, he's uh, been living in that resurrected state for a while. Before he ascends back to the Father, he says to his, his followers, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus, again, sending them out. To not, and and if, you, if you read the rest of those verses, uh, and, and as Matthew tw- chapter 28 wraps up, he says that we're, we're to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things that he has commanded them, and that he would be with them surely to the very end of the age. So he promises his presence, and he also helps them to understand that as they are going, They are making disciples. That's the one command that's in this verse. The one command, the one imperative is to make disciples, to go out into the world, to reach people who don't yet know him, have them come to an identity in Christ, in Christ Jesus. That's why he tells them to be baptized because they're baptized after they have their place, their faith and trust in him. So they're baptized and then he encouraged and exhorts those followers to then teach them all things that they had been taught themselves. So Jesus encourages them not just to make converts, not just to produce, you know, uh, to get decisions, but Jesus' call on his church is to make disciples, which includes salvation and then growth and maturity by teaching them to obey all things that he had commanded them. So we are disciple makers. We are witnesses. We are ambassadors. We are salt. We are light. As we go out and do that, There's just a couple of more things that I want to remind you. First, the importance of the complementary content and conduct. What I mean by that is this. Now, you've heard me say in a previous talk, that old saying, preach the gospel at all times and whenever necessary, use words. You've heard me say that that's a fallacy, that's wrong, that's really not what Scripture teaches at all. So I'm not suggesting, because the word euangelizo is to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news. We have content to proclaim. I've shared that already. What is that content? Jesus came because we were wrecked with sin and were hopeless in our state of separation from the Father. He came, right? We read that passage uh, today from, from John chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, just, as Moses was lifted up the, uh, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That's our content. Our content is eternal life comes only in and through the person and work of Jesus. But sometimes our conduct doesn't give us, put us in a place where people will listen to our content. We discredit our content, what we say we believe, by how we live our life. And when the content, when we say that this book matters to us, and when this book says things like, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, and those aren't part of our life, well, why would somebody want to listen to what we have to say? You see, our content, and again, I get it, guys. We're imperfect. We're going to blow it. That's reality. We are just, we're, we're, we're human beings, 
and we don't have it all put together yet. I get that. But the life of the Jesus follower should be characterized by a particular way in which we live our life aligned with the truth of the, of the word, aligned with the life lived by the empowerment of the spirit. So when we go out as sent ones, is there something we have to tell? Yes, that's clear. We tell people about the person of Jesus and the fact that his death brings them life. There is also a way in which we live. Those two things must be in harmony with each other, not working against one another. Secondly, as you leave, not only are we called to be people who redeem, but we're also called to be people who restore. Meaning this, the work of redemption is that salvation that happens. And that's, that's what God has done for each of us who, have, who, st- who sit here today as followers of Jesus. We have been redeemed back to the Father by the work of Jesus. But I also believe that there's a heart of restoration as well. That God has called us. Now, it's kind of like this reality. We talk about being members of the kingdom of God. As a follower of Jesus, I live as a, as a citizen in the kingdom of God. Has that kingdom been fully realized yet? No, I'm still living in this earth, in this reality, with all the problems and struggles and heartaches and pain that, that this earthly life entails. That's real. That's factual. But within that experience, I also live as a member of the kingdom of God. And so as I allow that, those principles of kingdom living to be more and more and more and more lived out within my life, then that changes everything around me. All of a sudden, I begin to restore things. God begins to restore things as we live as people, in a, again, who are members of the kingdom of God. I'm just checking out in the back. Is everything okay back there, guys? Everything? Okay, great. Just want to make sure, okay, I was just make, making sure everybody was okay. I saw some, maybe a medical emergency going on. Jesus said in Revelation 21, look, I am making everything new. Now, he hasn't made everything new yet. He is going to make everything new. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, new bodies. But we are a new creation. We are a new people. We're part of a new kingdom. And so we, in some smaller way, at a micro level, at the macro level, is it going to exist? Is everything being made new now at a macro level? No, but at a micro level. And when you add up all the micro level restoration that can happen through Heidi's life and Dave's life, Mike's life and Bob's life and Ryan's life and Rich's life, and all of a sudden, when all of those micro-level, you know, uh, kingdom-living restoration sort of things happen, all of a sudden we can see our culture begin to shift and change. Is it going to get there? No, because we know that our culture is wrecked by sin. I get that. But Jesus ultimately is going to make everything new, and I think there is a sense in which things can be made new as we live our lives more aligned with the kingdom principles than with the principles of what we think is best. Look, Jesus says, I am making everything new. What does it look like to live as a sent one? I can't answer that for you because I believe each of us have a unique and individual context. But I would suggest to you that for each of us, 
This idea of living as a sent person in Jesus' name is not optional. When Jesus first invited those fishermen, Simon and Andrew, he said to them, follow me. I'm going to make you something, a fisher of, of people. When Jesus invited you to follow him, when you answered that call, when you received by faith the gracious offer of new life through the shed blood of Jesus, you became the salt of the earth, light of the world, an ambassador, a witness, and a disciple maker. That's not what I think. That's what the word of God says you are. That priestly prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, when he was praying to his father about all the needs of his followers that would come in the years after his death and resurrection, after he left them but sent them the Holy Spirit, he repeated those words after he appeared to them three chapters later in John, in John chapter 20, when he appeared to them and he had the famous interaction with Thomas who doubted him and everything, Jesus said to them in that moment, after he said to them, peace be with you, he said, as I have been sent to you, so I send you into the world. I'm sending you out in the same way that I've been sent, with a message of hope and truth and love and new life in a world of darkness. Every one of you are gonna interact with people this week. I would, I would have a hard time believing that there's one person in this room that will not interact with someone this week that doesn't know new life in Jesus Christ. Is that opportunity going to be one that you lean into as an ambassador, a witness? Or is it going to be one that you shrink back from? As a church, we want to be a community of Jesus followers who understand that as we go out into the world, we go out on mission and with a purpose. Because the stark reality is that the gospel is the one thing that changes everything. And it's what we're called to share. It's what we're called to live. You are. I am. We are sent in his name. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a sending God. We thank you you also are a sent God. As your sent ones, God, we pray that you would help us this week, next week, in the days, weeks, and months to come. That you would help us to live more aligned with this purpose of being sent in your name. We pray, God, that those people that we have interaction with, those people that we connect with on a daily basis, those people that you've brought into our life, the context of our life, God, that, that you would help us to just recognize 
how important it is for us to be people who share your truth, live your truth. We pray, God, that as, as we as a, as a church, that as we attempt to do that, that you would bless our efforts. You know, God, we, just, we count on that promise that Jesus gave to his first followers, that he would be with them always to the very end of the age as they went out to make disciples in his name. And we count on that same presence, God, as we are interacting with people in our everyday lives, helping them to come to know you and helping them to continue in their walk with you. Lord God, for for some of us, the idea of being a witness and an ambassador, it comes really very natural. For others of us sitting here today, it makes us super uncomfortable. Whatever the case might be, God, let us not rely on personality and preference but instead on the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. You said that when your Holy Spirit came on us in power, that we would be your witnesses. And so help us, Lord, to rely on that dynamite power to go out and be witnesses for you, in you, and through you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.